Hello and welcome to the Financial Wealth and Health Podcast. My name is Isabel Clausen, an LPL financial advisor as well as a fellow young professional who wants to help other young professionals feel aligned with their personal and financial values, prepared to tackle their future financial obstacles and opportunities, and equipped with confidence to make smart financial decisions. In order to become financially wealthy, you need to be financially healthy. And this is exactly what I seek to help you with through this podcast. Just like physical health requires hard work, commitment, and discipline, financial health does as well. But let me tell you, this effort will pay off more than you can imagine. I want to help you develop a healthy, strong, and thriving relationship with your financial life. Let's grow our financial wealth and health together. In today's podcast episode, I interview Kate and Debbie Creasy, and we talk all about going to college in a budget-friendly way. I know Kate and Debbie through STOA USA, a Christian speech and debate league that I was part of in high school, and now I'm a member of the STOA Alumni Committee. Kate and Debbie have an amazing personal story about going to college in a cost-effective way, but before we dive into the episode interview, I want to share a little bit more about Kate and Debbie. Kate Creasy competed in STOA from 2012 to 2017. She holds a BA in Communication and a BA in Political Science from Angelo State University. An enthusiastic advocate for homeschool speech and debate, Kate believes that the Lord used STOA to prepare her for opportunities she could not have foreseen. Post-STOA, Kate's background encompasses experience in film, television, radio, government, public policy, and nonprofit work. Kate is currently pursuing a JD and wants to use her career to defend human life, human rights, and human dignity. Debbie Creasy began the adventures of homeschooling her children in 2004 after teaching in the public school classroom for 10 years. She holds a BS in education from Texas A&M University and currently lives in Denton, Texas. On the advice of a friend, she and her daughter attended a summer speech camp held by a STOA club in 2012. They were hooked for life by the passion for public speaking they saw among students. Deborah credits Stoa for her children's comfort with and love of writing and public speaking. Debbie and Kate know the importance of raising confident kids and empowering young people to take initiative. They love to speak and share about how to teach your children to dream big dreams while remaining true to their faith and convictions. Another favorite topic is how to help your child fall in love with the written and spoken word. Due to compliance purposes, I need to clarify that Debbie and Kate are not affiliated with Desert Wealth Management or LPL Financial. But without further ado, let's welcome Debbie and Kate on to the show. Hi, Kate and Debbie. Thank you so much for coming on the Wealth and Health Podcast today. Hi, Isabel. Thanks so much for having us. Yes, we're so glad to be here. Looking forward to our visit. Yes, thank you so much for wanting to come on and share a little bit more about your college saving tips, all about how to avoid debt and thrive in college. I think this is a topic that so many listeners would love to hear about, not only for themselves, but maybe for friends, children, and grandchildren. So as we start this interview, I would love if you could please share your background in STOA speech and debate, your current job and education experience, and what your goals are this year. Sure. So I competed in STOA from 2012 to 2017. Um, And during that time, I I just really fell in love with communication, with public speaking, with public policy. And those uh, passions 
fueled some of my interests later on down the road. I studied communication, political science, and business in college. And then now I'm pursuing a JD. So I'm planning to go into uh, the legal career use, using that degree to, to promote human dignity, uh, human life, and human rights in culture and political institutions and judicial institutions. Um, I think my goals for this year uh, would, would be um, in, in terms of financial goals, uh, I guess, since that's probably most relevant, um, looking forward to learning more about how to invest wisely. Um, I'm on the younger side of my 20s, and that's something I'm, I'm just becoming more familiar with. And I, as a mom, was very excited about my children being involved in speech and debate. We sort of felt like we stumbled onto STOA USA because we had a friend who was involved. I had been involved in speech and drama in public school as a middle schooler. And I knew how valuable that had been to me and how important it was that I wasn't afraid of, of public speaking. So I really wanted that for my own kids. Started asking questions when my oldest, who is Kate, was about probably a seventh grader and uh, found a friend who was involved in STOA USA. Um, so we uh, got involved. We just started with going to a summer camp and uh, loved it. Uh, my two oldest children, my daughters participated for eight years total between the two of them. And I felt like it was really important to prepare them for college. It gave them options that I'm not sure they would have had if they weren't comfortable with public speaking. So just fell in love with the whole idea of learning to think on your feet and speak and communicate well with others. So that was important to me. Um, I'm a teacher by trade. I have a Bachelor of Science in elementary education with a specialization in reading. And I taught public school for 10 years and then stayed home with my kids once I had kids and homeschooled them from the get-go when they entered kindergarten. And I'm finishing up with my last child. I have three kids. Um, my youngest will enter high school in the fall. And um, as far as goals, I guess my financial goals for this year are to go back to the basics in this climate of inflation and um, just seeing some changes in the economy. I have, along with my husband, just determined that we need to do a reset and think carefully about money again and be real intentional with how we use it, whether it's giving, budgeting, going to the grocery store. So I'm really kind of trying to simplify every area of my life and put systems in place like basic budgets and um, systems even for cleaning the house, things like that, just so that I'm free from those um, dailies in life that sometimes can bog you down. And I feel like budgeting helps me with that a lot. Wonderful. Thank you guys for sharing your background as well as your goals uh, here in the financial wealth and health community. We're all about sharing our goals and encouraging one another. So thank you so much for sharing that background and your goals. We wish you all the best in those financial wealth and health goals.
But I also want to dive into your history about going to college debt-free, talking about saving for college, trying to avoid as much debt as possible. This is a topic that is increasingly important, especially as the cost of college goes up and up. So if each of you would like to share your perspective on this journey, we would love to kind of dive in your, your personal journeys before sharing your tips. I would love to start. Um, I'm a first-generation college student. My grandparents and my parents did not get to go to college, but it was super important to them that I was able to go. And they, my parents sent me to college debt-free. And I saw what that did to me when I entered marriage and my husband and I were not held back by debt for college. It gave me options. I went into the field of education. So I knew I probably wasn't going to be making big bucks in that field. And it was super helpful to be debt free. My husband actually went back to school after we were married. He, uh, we married during my college and I only had three semesters left. So he said, you go to college, you finish, then I'll go. So I was equipped with a degree, no debt. So then he was free to choose the college he really wanted to attend. And we just, we've made some financial mistakes. Uh, if you were to look up financial genius in the dictionary, you wouldn't see our picture next to it. We've made some mistakes. But the one thing that we always did was try to pay for education as we went. Um, so we paid for his education and we wanted to pa pass that on to our kids so that they wouldn't be burdened with debt and whatever field they felt led to go into, whatever calling was on their lives, they would be free to answer that call and not be burdened with payments. Um, I've been thinking a lot about that with the current um, worldwide environment, like in Ukraine, what's going on. And I thought, you know, if one of my kids, my young adult kids wanted to go to Poland, say, and minister to refugees, they would really be free to do that because they don't have obligations with auto debt. They don't have obligations with college debt. And that's super important to me was just for them to have options. And that's what debt free college gave me and what I wanted to pass on to my kids. Yes, I think the fact that going to school debt-free opens the door for opportunity is one of the greatest motivators to save money on college. So thank you for sharing your story. And Kate, I'd also love to hear your perspective as well. I definitely have to second everything mom said. I think if I had a, a message to describe my history and my perspective on going to college debt-free, it would be don't put ceilings on your dreams. I think too many young adults are convinced that going to college debt-free is impossible. And I think that's definitely my, my story is that going to college debt-free is not impossible. And that the first step is, is a mindset step. If, if you believe that there's no way this is going to happen, it couldn't, it couldn't possibly be me that this would happen to Well, that's probably going to become a self-fulfilling prophecy per se. Um, I think I just really became convinced that there's a Bible verse that says the borrower is slave to the lender. And I just became convinced that I didn't want to be a slave to someone else with my finances, that I wanted to have control over my financial well-being to the extent that I could have control. I think that was definitely the motivating factor in me for starting on this journey. Let me just pick up, Isabel, on something that Kate said that 
reminded me of um, a point that I think is important for parents and young people to um, embrace. I, my husband and I didn't put aside big amounts of money. We had a couple of um, financial setbacks as our kids have grown up, a couple of major health issues, uh, big surgeries, expensive surgeries, um, a season of unemployment. And we were not, we did not feel like we could put aside the money that we would have liked to have put aside for college. Um, so we wanted college for our kids if that's what they wanted, but we didn't have big money to put toward it. And I remember as they began applying for colleges, Kate, since she's my oldest, began applying for colleges. And I saw the sticker price of that. It was a bit overwhelming at time. And um, because I'm a person of faith um, and spent time in prayer, I really felt like as long as I did my part, God would take care of the rest and what was supposed to happen would, would happen. So we really investigated deeply every college that we felt like would align with Kate's vision, what she thought she wanted in a college. And um, then we, we just did what we could do. And then we sat back and waited to see what would happen with that. We always have encouraged our kids not to pick just one college as a dream school. It's great to have a dream school, but um, sometimes the plan for your life is different than the plan that you think is the plan for your life. <laughs> and uh, so we had our kids investigate private schools, public schools, um, different ways of achieving their goals. And then they, each of our daughters who have gone to college picked several schools, applied and pursued financial aid with all that they were. We knew we didn't want loans. Um, so they just pursued and then they honestly looked at the offers they received and weighed, um, okay, what would this mean for me? How much would I have to work? Um, would this involve debt? Is this a possibility? And we went from there, which I think is important for young people to not set their heart on only one method of achieving their dreams, dream big, and then look at all your options before you make a decision. Yes, Debbie, thank you so much for sharing that because just like we were saying, we wanna make sure to have an opportunity that comes with going to college debt-free. In order to reach that opportunity, you have to have your options open because like you said, sometimes life doesn't go our perfect plan. And while picking one college and maybe getting there is awesome, there could be other types of colleges that are around the corner that we may not be thinking about. So thank you for sharing your perspective on that as the parent guiding your children. And Kate, when you were looking at different colleges, trying to figure out your options, options of how much you need to work or if loans were needed. What was your checklist or the way you view these different colleges and try to build your own roadmap to picking the college that worked best for you? Yeah, I think a roadmap is sometimes you look back, you look backwards and you see that there was a roadmap uh, you, you can see the map only in reverse sometimes. Sometimes you, you don't really have a roadmap in front of you, which is why I'm so grateful that um, younger adults who are facing these questions can 
can listen to your podcast and get some tips because I don't know that I had such a formulated roadmap as probably would have been helpful. But looking back, I can definitely think of a few different um, tips I would have for younger people when it comes to going to college, you know, debt-free. Mom said something really good about how sometimes your plans change. And I think I'm definitely a poster child for that. I played basketball for eight years and I thought I was going to college on a basketball scholarship. That was my plan. I, I had everything set in stone. Why would I possibly need a plan B? And then as I was starting to be around the time that I would be entering high school, I discovered competitive speech and debate. I came into contact with this organization, STOA USA. And I fell in love with communicating, with public speaking, with public policy. And I ended up giving up competitive basketball and switching to competitive forensics. Competitive forensics became my sport in high school. And looking back now, I can see that was absolutely the best decision. But it did mean that my plan for a college scholarship went out the window. So I think from that, coming from that perspective, starting with, I just started at ground zero. I had no money for college. Uh, no way to get money for college, and uh, no plan of how I was going to do that. So I think poster child for starting from ground zero and, and working your way up. So I'd say maybe three different things that were super, super helpful for me. First thing will be developing a marketable skill. So through speech and de debate, I developed competitive speaking skills, and that became useful on two fronts. Number one, it allowed me to start a business. So in the summer times, I could travel around the Southern United States and I would assist um, competitive forensic organizations with summer camps and I would help run summer camps. It was a really great source of income. It was a way to work smarter, not harder, uh, use some sort of marketable skill that I had developed in an in a very niche market that was willing to pay for that skill. Um, if, if you can find some kind of a competitive skill, it tends to be that clubs and parents are willing to pay for those, those sort of things. So I was able to earn income and just be self-employed. That also gave me just great experience in running a business and filing taxes. And so that, was, that was just a great financial experience overall. But the marketable skill also became important secondly, because many scholarship competitions are connected to very specific skills. If you are into um, equestrian sports, there are competitions for you, scholarships just for you. If you are interested in engineering, there are competitions just for you. If you're interested in public speaking, there are scholarship competitions just for you. No matter what marketable skill you develop, there's someone out there who wants to give you money because you're good at something. And so developing a marketable skill didn't just because become something I could use as a foundation for a business, but it also became something that I could take to organizations and basically pitch myself. I have this skill, you should fund my education. And that was how even in high school, I started earning some money, earning scholarships to, to rack up towards, you know, going, going into college. Um, my second, I guess, tip I would have perspective, practical kind of tip would be to think about the income bracket that you're in. 
my family was in what I like to call that income bracket. And it's the income bracket where we didn't qualify for certain need-based scholarships, but because of reasons my mom mentioned, we couldn't afford college. That was just not an option. So if I didn't wanna take out loans and I had already thrown that option off the table, then I was going to have to find a different kind of scholarship program. I ended up going to a, a medium-sized public university called Angelo State University that has a phenomenal merit-based scholarship program. So the point of the program was if you put in the work in high school, I think this would be just a tip in general, do the work ahead of time. If you put in the work in high school to be in as many extracurriculars as possible, to get the best grades that you can, um, to demonstrate why you would be a candidate who would promote this university well, then this school wanted to help fund your education. And so through a conglomeration of doing the work ahead of time, developing marketable skills, running my own business, and then also finding merit-based scholarships, I was able to have college completely covered. Then of course, my last tip, inflation is always something you have to be thinking about. So even if you have enough money that you've saved up ahead of time from working, from scholarship competitions, even if you earn enough money through need-based or merit-based scholarships, it's highly possible that your college bill is going to go up while you're in college. And it turns out that many universities have scholarship programs or employment programs that they don't tell you about ahead of time that once you get into the college, then you learn, okay, this department and this professor in this department who happens to really like me, I did well in his class, he will talk to me about giving me a job. And I think the last thing under that I would just say is, it never hurts to ask, be the squeaky wheel. The squeaky wheel gets the grease. So it never hurts to go to a professor, and I definitely did this with multiple professors and say, can I just be kind of vulnerable with you? I'm in a really rough financial position right now. I'm wondering if there is a, an extra scholarship, an extra donor that you know of, an extra fund, um, an extra job that you have. Is there something that I can do? Because I really need your help. And often people are willing to sit down and talk with you and advise you and just give you that wise counsel that you need. I, I think those in general would be my top tips for, for younger people when it comes to going to college debt-free. Uh, Kate, thank you so much for, for sharing those. Those were so helpful. And I especially love the, the couple, three or four points that you shared. I really also want to just once again, repeat that putting the work in ahead of time, whether it's getting good grades or being involved or calling up a bunch of different colleges, getting their pricing sheets, figuring out, you know, if I want to live on campus, but I get a um, full ride tuition scholarship, how much do I have to make every semester or in scholarships to pay to live on campus? Or do I want to live at home? So I think, you know, doing the prep work of being a well-rounded student is important, but also preparing the financials ahead of time. Because if you get that lined up and you get that uh, job on campus from that teacher, it could really help you a lot. So thank you so much for sharing. I'm going to be sharing a lot of those tips in our show notes if people want to take another quick glance. But thank you, Kate and Debbie. I would love to hear your tips from the parent's perspective. Of course, there's a lot that the student and the child has to do, but the parent's direction is super important. So if any parents are listening and maybe they have some younger children, perhaps in middle school or early high school, I would love to hear what you did so you could give advice to them. Oh, yes. Um, my head's spinning. There's so much. <laughs> um, 
One thing that I've realized recently is financial prowess or um, expertise is developed. It's just like um, muscles are developed. It, when you're working out, um, if you want to do 20 push-ups, you start with one push-up. And I've realized recently that my kids' financial expertise started at birth. It started the early at, on the first day of their lives, always. The goal was for me not to take responsibility for them financially, for them to learn to take responsibility for their own finances. And I had to be there um, encouraging them, cheering for them, putting things, things in place. But that first lemonade stand, that's so important. Um, it's important when they succeed and they sell a lot, and it's important when they fail and what they learn from it. Um, so I just think it's important as a parent to help your child develop financial prowess and financial muscle. Um, when Kate was probably, Kate might remember, but I think she was probably a sophomore and her sister Claire was probably seventh grade. My husband said to me, this speech and debate thing, it's getting expensive. Our girls wanted to travel across the nation and they wanted to be involved, not only locally, but they wanted to travel to other parts of the country and take part in tournaments. And he said, this is getting super expensive. I think our girls need to take financial responsibility and I think they need to pay for it. And my mouth fell open because they didn't have jobs. <laughs> and we're talking 9,000, 10,000, I don't even know how many thousand, I refuse to count it up after a while that they would need for a year. I think Kate figured maybe 9,000. And so my husband said, I think they can do it. And you know what? They did. And we went to nationals in another state that year. And the night before we left for nationals, they brought in the last dollar that they needed. We always paid for the gas. We always paid for the food, but they had to pay for tournament fees. And they had, to, which were, you know, piled up if you went to a lot of tournaments it's not expensive if you go locally or just go to a few but they wanted to go to lots and then the hotel fees piled up um, but we learned lots of tricks about how to keep the cost down but in the midst of that my my kids built financial muscle and they built self-confidence they began to believe in themselves and their ability to earn money and uh, to do things like have summer jobs that didn't just bring in minimum wage. And neither of my daughters who've gone to college were afraid to go to that professor and say, hey, I need to pick up some more cash. Do you have a job? We learned quickly that the federal work study programs do not pay what other jobs pay. The tutoring jobs, the administrative assistance for your assistant jobs for your favorite professor, they pay significantly more. And uh, I swear my kids have paid for college $100 at a time. You know, $100 with this tiny scholarship here or this tiny odd job or this babysitting um, gig that they got. And I used to think you had to have thousands and thousands and thousands to send kids to school, but you really don't. You just gotta go $100 at a time and it's amazing how it adds up. But I encourage parents not to take personal financial responsibility for their students. 
that doesn't belong to the parent that belongs to the student. We've tried to put in place this concept of debt-free college for our kids, and we do what we can. Um, we're, we're willing to work hard as parents to back them up and to chip in whatever we can for their educations. But ultimately, it's their decision if they're going to go to school debt-free. Um, there's a line that belongs to them. And, you know, I, I try not to cross it. It's hard. <laughs> it's hard to let them take responsibility, but that's probably my best tip of all is to let them build that financial muscle and then let them take responsibility when it is theirs to take. Yes, Debbie, thank you so much. I think that point is extremely important because, you know, a parent could do all the work, a child could do all the work, but when both work together, especially when the student is, like you said, flexing that muscle, building that confidence, it'll carry in for the rest of their lives, whether it's working for scholarships, part-time jobs, and, you know, two working together usually is more effective than just one. So I really like that story, especially sharing a little bit of your past with um, helping pay for uh, different speech and debate tournaments. I think that's wonderful. So any families that are in that stage of life now, that's a wonderful idea to start building that confidence from a young age, because confidence really is key when, when making money and starting out when you're young. So thank you very much for sharing those tips. And then I also wanted to share a little bit about um, if you could tell your younger self one thing about finance, what would it be? I wanted to ask this question first to Kate and then to Debbie. The main thing I would tell my younger self about finance would be get your head in the game. And I think that is kind of split into three different perspectives, uh, three different components in terms of trying to wrap your brain around the idea of going to college debt-free. The first one, the first little subpart is find a college that's a mission match. You asked me earlier about what's your roadmap plan? How do you find a place where you can end up debt-free in terms of how do you find that university? Find a university that's a mission match because if your values and mission are aligned with your university's value and mission, then you're going to be able to go to that university and say, here's why you should invest in me. A scholarship isn't a handout. A scholarship is an investment and you owe that university a return on their investment by being a great student, by promoting them, by working for the interests of the organization. So find somewhere that you're in mission match. And then the second part is with, with the money that you do have, be really generous. You can do so much more with 90% of your money than you can do with 100% of your money. I don't understand fully how that works, but um, this, again, this goes back to being a person of faith. I believe that out of 100% that I earn, I should give away 10% of it. And I found that when I do that, I'm, I have so much more money to do the things that I needed to do than I thought I, I would have. And then the last little part under this idea of get your head in the game, how do I start working hard now, is same in the save in the time of rain for the time of drought. That there will be times that come along when you do have a really great summer job, when you've built up that marketable skill, where you're earning money and you see that the semester is coming. That's great. Don't spend that money because this is the time of drain. You're going to need that water when the time of drought comes. Um, I would just add on to what Kate said. If I could go back and say something to my younger self, I think I would say, remember finances and money are a tool to achieve your dreams. They're not the dream. Uh, no amount of money that you ever have in the bank 
is going to be enough in certain financial situations. It's just not. Um, in a time of great medical uh, challenge, you may just not have enough money. Um, so I think there was a time in my life when I thought maybe the goal was to have X in the bank. And now I realize finances are tools. Uh, money's just a tool to help you achieve your dreams and to give you freedom. That's the goal. You want to be free to achieve the purpose and the calling on your life that um, God has placed there. And I think that would have helped me a lot if I would have realized money wasn't the important thing. Um, it just helps me achieve the, the important thing. Exactly. Money is not the goal. It's more of the experiences or the different ways you could bless others in life or the life that you could live. That's the goal. Money just helps you get there. So I always say whenever I talk about financial planning, that when you think of gas going in a car, the car is the financial plan and the gas to run the financial plan is the money. So I use that analogy too. But thank you guys so much for sharing what you would tell your past selves. I think that's a fun question to learn about. And I also really, especially love when you were talking, Kate, about being generous and how you could live off, you know, 90% of your money, way more than you could have lived off 100%. That's a really great way to think about it. Um, and as we wrap up today's podcast episode, uh, I wanted to ask you a little bit about your habits that you do each day or each week consistently that add to your financial health. We're all about financial health and wellness on this podcast. And while a lot of people talk about their favorite health and wellness tips, I like to ask people what their favorite financial health and wellness tips are in general. It could be about education or just different types of habits, big or small, that you each do in your own life. So I started with Kate last time, so I'll start with Debbie this time if you'd like to share a couple. Absolutely. I would just tag on to what Kate said. Um, I think giving, that's it. And giving not just in a time of plenty, but um, I think there's a principle that has been put in place on planet Earth that when you're struggling in an area, if you give, you get always more. Um, so I think giving is the habit that uh, my husband and I would look back to as most important in our lives. Um, for us, because of our Christian faith, it happens to be a minimum of 10%, but also giving not just money, but time and investing in other people's lives. I feel like it's helped us to reap so much and it's kept our perspective on what is important in life. So that would be my number one healthy habit. And then the second one would probably be um, trying to just look at each dollar and decide how can I make it work for me? Um, I'm trying to make that shift to, instead of saying how much is gonna, something gonna cost, how can I take the money I hold in my hand now and make it work and produce what I need in order to pay or achieve, pay for or achieve the goal that I set? Instead of taking money out of the bank and buying a cart, is there a way I could take the money I have and get it to produce what I need for that cart, but still hold on to it? So I'm still learning a lot about that, but those two perspectives I think are, are, have been really healthy for me. 
Thank you so much for sharing. And, and I, I agree on that point too, not just giving money, but also time. I find that people think when it comes to tithing or giving, especially in a struggling time, that all you can give is money. And so sometimes when we are struggling and we need to be responsible for our bills, it could be kind of um, a hardship to figure out how we could still serve others and give when we literally don't have enough money sometimes. So the fact that you shared time or even hospitality or opening up your home or offering advice, that's such a great message that I'm so happy a lot of young adults listening to this podcast episode can hear knowing that they don't have to be discouraged. If they go through a hard time, they could still give. So thank you for sharing. And Kate, I would also love to hear your financial health and wellness habits that you've been implementing and you want to share today. One of my favorite habits is much more of a small picture, not quite so much of a big picture thing. This is just for my mental health in terms of my financial mental health. I have a document and I keep a running document, a running tab of all of the money that comes in for the whole year and where it comes from. If I get money in the form of a gift card, in the form of a gift, in the form of a job, in the form of a scholarship, no matter where the money comes from, I have a ta- uh, uh, just a list and it goes on the list that that money came in the door. And that has made doing taxes so much less stressful because I know exactly how much money came in the door and I know where that money came from. That has helped my financial mental health skyrocket. <laughs> Yes, I think that a lot of people keep a running tally of how much they spend, but I like how you're keeping your cash inflows, not just your outflows, because when you look at your inflows, it kind of makes you excited, it keeps you inspired, looking at how much you're spending is not always the most fun thing to do, so I think looking at the inflows, that's a great way to see how much came in, and then, you know, at the end of the year, you could see, you know, where did it all go if you want to learn, you know, how you're spending, but I really like that, and um, I want to ask, how often do you update that list? Is it once a week, once a month? every quarter? I update it every single time that money comes in the door. So if I, uh, for some reason, let's say it was some sort of big event and someone gave me a gift card and then the very next day was payday. On the first day when I got the gift card, I would update the list. On the next day when I got the, um, when, when payday came around, I would, I would just update it immediately. I don't wait until a day, a week, a month, a quarter. The instant that the money comes in the door, that's when the list gets updated. Awesome. Thank you. And do you use that list on Google Sheets or on a notes app on your phone? How do you keep that uh, really practical to update it immediately? I, for me personally, I'm kind of an electronic person in terms of keeping my lists electronically. I'm, I'm a lister. But I think if you are a person who likes to write things down manually, then absolutely do that. Great. Awesome. Well, thank you for sharing. I love hearing all the financial uh, wealth and health tips. Those are some of my favorite. Uh, But as we wrap up this interview, I would love for you to tell our listeners uh, how they can learn more about STOA USA. Uh, I met Kate not in STOA, but actually after STOA through the STOA Alumni Committee. And I'm so glad that we connected from an organization that we're not even competing in anymore. So it's such a great organization. So if any of our listeners are interested or if they have friends and family interested, whether um, they're older or younger, how would they be able to reach out to STOA USA and learn more? Yeah, so I think there's a clear tie here between doing, just for me personally, doing speech and debate in high school and then being financially healthy later because it helped me to develop those marketable skills that I was talking about. So absolutely, I would recommend 
anyone get connected with Stoa USA. The best thing to do is just go to stoausa.org. You can find connection links there. You can kind of just fill out some information and you'll get information sent to you. You can also find the contact information for the executive director or any of the committee chairs. Let them know that you want to get your family plugged in with this organization, that you want to start developing these skills with your kids, or even if you want to give back to your community, we were talking about giving time, and you want to help raise up a generation of young professionals by volunteering with your time at competitive speech and debate tournaments, you could also let them know that. Great. And Debbie, do you have any other STOA USA resources, contact resources you want me to, you want to share here, or you, does that cover everything? I think most everything I would recommend would be found at stoausa.org. Um, I do want to say that the connections you make um, just by going at, to a tournament and observing and asking other moms or other students about their experiences are invaluable. And I have found in STOA, families are friendly. They are eager to come alongside you. Um, and whatever your vision is, if it's to do one speech a year at one tournament or just to go to cl a club, a local club and work on writing a speech or to learn what debate looks like, um, you'll find all the resources you need um, at stoausa.org and through connections, whether it's at a tournament or at a club. Yes, and I'll be linking that stoausa.org link in the show notes for any listeners that want to check it out. And even if we have listeners that perhaps are not homeschooled and they go to either private school or public school, there are so many different forensics teams and speech and debate clubs that are opening up now that um, the world's opening up a little bit more. So I would encourage any younger listeners or parents or even aunts and uncles, grandchildren, just to encourage the younger generation to develop their public speaking skills because it also instills confident, confidence in them as well. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much for coming on this podcast episode of the Financial Wealth and Health Podcast. It was wonderful to get to interview you and hear your background as well as your amazing advice on going to school with little to no debt. I hope that it really helps the listeners and we're excited to share it with them. So thank you all so much. Thank you. Thank you very much. I hope you all enjoyed this amazing episode with Kate and Debbie, and I also hope that you have an amazing week. The opinions voiced in this show are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine which strategies or investments may be suitable for you, consult the appropriate qualified professional prior to making a decision. All investing involves risk, including loss of principal. No strategy assures success or protects against loss.